0: When I mean, you're going through a, a shooting slump right?
1: I and mean, you know you got better in you, I mean, how do you deal with that? Just keep shooting, man. Um, don't think about it. And it's hard not to think about it because everybody in the world's telling you, don't think about it. Everybody you come across, you keep shooting it. Trust me, I'm going to keep shooting. Don't think about it. I'm trying not to. You're not helping. So everybody that's in my inbox, PSA, stop texting me, don't think about it. Just keep shooting. I know that. Everybody I come across, you try not to think about it, keep shooting Um i'm not second guessing myself whenever i get a look more so than anything i let try to let my defense fuel that that side of the floor for me be active try to get in passing lanes get some rebounds box out uh get into guys and then you know offensively just run and and hopefully build my rhythm back that way but so just keep shooting don't think about it and try to block out the noise from the media your, your inbox and everybody else that tells you not to think about it
2: why can't we have nice things i just feel so badly For Danny Green, this is Free Association. Thank you for listening. Raptors are in the finals.
3: We have lots of nice things.
2: Yeah, no, but he can't even really enjoy it because the time when he's supposed to be soaking in all the love, all of his messages are about the fact that he hasn't hit a shot in over two weeks.
3: Yeah, it's not great when you make an NBA Finals
2: and you're not getting congratulatory texts. It's just, keep shooting, Danny. You can do it, Danny. Well, there's great videos they are still streaming in online of different Raptors at different establishments throughout the city that weekend or that night right after they won, Serge Ibaka is walking through restaurants giving people high fives. Fan Van Bleet like literally had to get his car detailed after he was assaulted by fans from all over the place. I've seen no such Danny Green videos because <laughs> my guy just want to be by himself in a room.
3: Dude, can I tell you a true story? Don't tell me a fake story. Well, you know, sometimes I like to embellish the truth a little bit. Who doesn't? This past couple of weeks, I've really been looking at Danny Green's Pumas. And there's this pair of green ones. I love like a turquoise and there's these pair of like green, Danny green shoes with pink, which are like one of my favorite color combinations. Do you know which ones I'm talking about? Yes, I do. So I was going to buy those shoes and I can't do it right now. Like I can't do it. If Danny green ends up being the goat of the Raptors postseason, right? Like he needs a turnaround for me to buy those shoes. And instead I bought a pair of ultra boosts. I was like, Hey, you know what? No, Danny Green. The money has to go elsewhere. A little bit of a sale on the old Adidas site. Had to jump on there. Left those Pumas in the shopping cart.
2: This is not necessarily where I thought we were going to start our NBA preview. I'm just
3: saying it's so bad it's costing him shoe money.
2: I mean, I, he already has the money, and I and, and if you're Danny Green, I don't know if the shoe money is that deep. I think the podcast money at this point is better yeah. for him. But this NBA Finals and John Morant just signed his deal with Nike. he Didn't take any other meetings. Over 70 percent of the league is with Nike. And obviously the league itself is with Nike, but this final specifically is a great testament to the fact that we're now in an era with the internet, with dot-com, with the globalization of the game, that you don't just have to be with a super big company. You could carve your own brand with someone else. Look at the big stars in this finals. Kawhi Leonard is with New Balance. The star for the Warriors steph curry is with under armor
3: did you see that meme of the side-by-side shoes it was like finals preview and it was the steph curry white shoes versus the white old dad new
2: valances oh you will not besmirch the curry sixes on this podcast uh, i love them yeah you're a dad now of course you love them okay. listen that dad <laughs> gets buckets and, and both Kwai leonard and steph curry and fred van Vliet are dads so dads are doing well in this series stand up dad nation yeah. but green is puma on the flip side cousins is puma Nike put out a post because they're the smartest marketers in the world. As soon as the Raptors won, the guy they had to sell that post was Norm Powell. Like, that's how far down the depth chart on this team they had to go to find a Nike guy. Is that true? What's Kyle Lowry? Adidas. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's Adidas. Fred Van Vliet is Adidas. Gasol is also Nike, but I'm not sure. Norm Powell got jumped. Mark Gasol, future Hall of Famer. Look at (laughs) the
3: the Nike Toronto account. (laughs) That's tough. For Marcus Gasol. But anyways, go on.
2: Well, what's the great photo of Marc Gasol? Him, like...
3: Doing the head nod. Doing an entry pass? Yeah, like, him doing that, the head nod to Kawhi. That's what you, I would do. That's not
2: trending and on Twitter. And then I would have
3: a, a logo like Nike, thinking differently or thinking better.
2: Those great photos of... Saw making the pass into the he had a block on a Giannis. difficult yeah, you can't give me that a verticality block yeah. does not <laughs> sell fo- shoes anyways yeah his feet don't leave the ground yeah, you're that's like, true. You're, it's tough it's tough you're not to moving show units with mark maybe yeah. in spain anyways not where i thought we'd start our but it NBA is fun. finals preview
3: okay let's get into danny green then because let's start here before we get in everything and We've got a guest, Connor Turner, who's going to join us later uh, in the show. We're going to get his perspective on what's up with the Warriors injuries and basically how different this team is going to be with or without KD against this Raptors group. What concerns us, what we're most interested in, uh, Steph Curry's legacy, all kinds of different stuff. But Danny Green, this is from John Schumann, has an effective field goal percentage of 44%. It's a mark that ranks 42nd among 49 players with at least 100 field goal attempts. And it's down 62.2% in the regular season. It's the biggest drop-off among 81 players with at least 300 field goal attempts in the regular season and 50 in the playoffs. He's taken 75% of his shots from three-point range, which is the highest rate amongst 84 players with at least 50 postseason field goal attempts. The guy is struggling. And I understand what he's saying there about, you know, he's going to keep shooting and he has to. What's your level of concern at this point? Because he is a proven finals player. He is a proven three-point shooter. And it really does appear that a lot of this is mental and not so much physical.
2: I think it's 100% mental. I mean, against Milwaukee, he shot 19%, 6 of 32 from the floor. He hasn't hit a three since May 20th. He's been 0 for 8. And yet, he started all of those games... I think Danny Green's value in this series is defense and specifically transition defense. But when you look at the wins the Raptors had against the Warriors, Danny Green was a big part of it. And a big part of it was his offense and his transition offense. Mm -hmm. Getting some easy points, getting out in the break and flaring to the three-point line, giving Kyle Lowry an outlet to wet some transition threes so you don't have to time and time again score in the half court against their set defense, which, when they care, is the best in the league. I think... For them to win, everyone is asking the scenarios as I've done various radio hits promoting our coverage here on Sportsnet and promoting the series. Well, oh, what has to happen for the Raptors to win? And outside of I love that question, Demarcus like Cousins thing. like coming back in, ruining their offensive flow, and Kevin Durant not coming back. One of the big things you'd put on that list is Danny Green finding his shot again because you were able to hold. Milwaukee to under 100 points in regulation in all but one game? It's not happening against Golden State.
3: Well, the other part of this, though, too, is that Golden State gives up a ton of three-point shots from above the break. They concede a lot of threes. They're actually very different from the Bucks, where you know they take away that corner three from you, or sort of they concede that corner three from you, and they just do a really decent job, but allow a lot of threes. I just think that Danny Green is going to have to have some part of this series that for the Raptors to have success against them just because of the, the nature of how good they are, that you are going to get into some more shootouts. You are of course always going to rely on his defense, his transition defense against the Warriors is going to be something that they re- they lean on. He is going to be able to match up, you know, on some possessions on Steph Curry, I would believe some possessions on clay Thompson and chasing him around. But I think that what you have to hope for with Danny green is that it's similar with Fred Van Vliet, that he's a guy who has been here before. And I don't mean have a kid. I mean, like eventually he has to remember who he is, that he was a guy that was a beat behind Kawhi Leonard for a finals MVP, that he does have this ridiculous percentage in the postseason, or, sorry, in the NBA finals. I think it's one of the highest in all of NBA history. And he does have to keep letting him fly and that there really isn't an alternative for this and that Nick Nurse has to kind of treat it the same way. Start Danny Green, let him take those shots, let him try to get comfortable And have the quick hook if you're just not seeing it. If you're seeing those kind of in-and-out threes, or sorry, not in-and-out threes, the ones that just aren't close for him. But ultimately, they got to keep leaning on that player. They can't move away from him. There's no better option. Even if OG Anobi comes back in this series, I don't think there's a situation where you're thinking like, okay, like insert OG or insert Norm and have OG come off the bench. It's still got to be Danny Green.
2: So House of Highlights reposted this video. It's one of my favorite NBA Finals videos. It's Spurs... Versus the Heat, second quarter, LeBron at the Mm -hmm. line. Stop me if you know what I'm talking about. Kawhi Leonard checks in the game. LeBron looks at the scores table to see who's coming in, shakes his head and swears Mm -hmm. when he sees that Kawhi Leonard is coming into the game. But the actual audio on the clip is about the guy who's leaving the game for Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green. And the comment was, Danny Green, who despite the fact that they have... Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili and Kawhi Leonard and Tim Duncan, Danny Green is leading the Spurs in scoring. People forget how wet his jumper was in the finals. He set a finals record for how prolific he was from three. He's a big-time player, and they're going to need that guy if they are going to continue to play good basketball offensively and if they're going to figure out a way to get four out of seven from the Warriors. I Tell that story to lead us. To our next question, or or my next question, because you have a few. Who should guard Steph Curry? If I am Nick Nurse, Kawhi Leonard is seeing the lion's share of minutes against Steph Curry, something that the Spurs have done in the past. Earlier this year, well, the one game that Kawhi played against the Warriors, he guarded Kevin Durant, which was an amazing battle between the two of them. They went shot for shot and showed the entire world why they are going to be the two most coveted free agents this offseason. But Kevin Durant's not playing game one. And depending on who you listen to, he may not play at all in this series. I would have Kawhi Leonard guard Steph Curry, and I would have Pascal Siakam guard Draymond Green. So I'm of two minds
3: with this, because on the one hand, Kawhi is, in my opinion, the best defensive player in the NBA. And why would you want to let him not use what is probably his best asset? Like, all due respect to all of his efficiency on offense, Kawhi Leonard his best attribute still is being able to slow down elite wing players. And as long as Kevin Durant is not in this series, there is a question mark as to who he defends. Because I think KD jumps in this series and immediately the answer is Kawhi's got to be on him. But for a guy that is absorbing this much workload offensively, and when I continue to think about the odometer for Kawhi, part of me wonders if maybe he's better suited as the LeBron James, a little bit of a rover that, you know, he gets to be the guy that covers Andre Iguodala or he gets to be the guy that gets to roam off a little bit and comes over as a help defender and gets to stick his hands into guys that are trying to dribble penetrate or turn their back to the basket.
2: Can I interject before yeah. you go on to no, your go other on. mind? Because you said you of two minds. That is sound logic. And that is the exact logic that was used in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then they were down 0-2. Yep. And they said, all right, well, I mean, if we want to continue this thing, we're just going to have to break glass. But different, kind, it of it animal, though, right? different like, kind of animal though, right? You're correct. Different kind of animal. Because guess what? If you're down 2-0, at home, yeah, it's a wrap. No, I just mean
3: like Giannis Antetokounmpo with his size and physicality. You needed to have a Kawhi Leonard on him. Like Kawhi matches up a little bit better, I think, than against Steph Curry. I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Maybe he's able to keep up with him with the quickness. I just wonder that if Kawhi is really dealing with something on his leg, and I think he is, and even if you think that he's at like 90 or 95%, Do you really want him gassing himself out, trying to stay in front of Steph Curry with his herky-jerky movements, the way that, you know, you have to defend him, what, five feet past the three-point line, the way that, you know, he can draw fouls. I don't know if you put him on him for the entire game. I do think that with Kawhi, it's going to be a mix and match, and Nick Nurse has to do what he does best, which is the tinkering thing, right, which is the continued experimentation. That being said, yeah, if Kawhi Leonard was to work on Steph Curry and you're getting that to your advantage, I mean, that makes it tough for the Warriors, And the one thing that the Raptors have going for them, and I think that continues to be their identity, is their defense. And If they can continue to get stops, if they continue to slow down Golden State in transition, if they can make things tough on Steph Curry, and there is no Kevin Durant, what does it look like when Clay Thompson is going up against Danny Green, who's a really good defender in his own right? Is Draymond Green going to be able to initiate his offense with Pascal Siakam on him? Like, I think those are important questions to ask, and you at least want to take a look at those things. And I would put Kyle Lowry on Andre Godala to start. I would have Kyle Lowry over on Andre Iguodala basically saying like, yep, okay, if he's going to take the corner three, if he's going to try to beat him into the, off the dribble, we'll have the help come. But let's see what Kawhi Leonard on, on Steph Curry looks like to start. Let's see how he deals with that size difference and with that quickness that Kawhi
2: has. I've never been a high-level athlete. The stakes of which anything that I've competed in is... I mean, is, you played not...
3: university football. And yeah, running back.
2: But I mean, I, I didn't play for an NBA final. sure. But. I just one when of the, you
3: say high level athlete guys are out here talking about when they play GV basketball. Wow. Got Skip Bayless 1.4 points talking on a talk show like he used to play. Yeah,
2: that doesn't mean that's right. But one of the one of the few things I and you don't really control what you say in competitive situations. But one of the few things I remember saying to teammates in tough spots is nobody said it was going to be easy. This is the entire point. Of course it's going to be taxing. Of course Kawhi Leonard is going to have to run all over the court as Steph Curry runs a marathon in every game around screens of course that's going to be tough of course that's a difficult decision yeah but as Malcolm X said by any means necessary like you need four wins end of story doesn't matter how doesn't matter how you feel afterwards and that gives you the best option because you mentioned creating your own offense and could Klay Thompson cook Danny Green well yeah sure of course he could for how many points mm-hmm. 35 40 he messes around and get 50 or 60 and how many times is he going to do that if Clay Thompson is cooking Danny Green, that's fine. Draymond, if he's creating his own offense for layups to the tune of what? 18 points? 20? 23? The point is, like, I'm not trying to go Lawler's Law here, but the point is, you got to get to around and above 100. And if you are neutralizing Steph Curry to the point where he's getting 20, 21, not 30, 31, 41, who else on that team, again, without Kevin Durant? Because mm-hmm. that changes everything. Who else is on that team is creating enough offense, specifically by themselves, and not because of the gravity or because of the double team that Steph Curry is demanding? Who's creating that offense? Even if you say Demarcus Cousins is playing and he's healthy and he's creating offense, sure, fine. Because that means if he's playing, we have a pass to play Marcus. Well, and how many and minutes that helps can, can he offense? possibly
3: play at this point? He's working on his conditioning right now, and they're talking about he and KD both needing to have that right step in their rehab to get on the floor in this series. And even if you do get a DeMarcus Cousins, it's really difficult for me to believe that he's going to be someone that, you know, can give you 35 minutes in a postseason game. Like, I think you're hoping for the 2022 from Boogie right now. I I think you raise a really good point. And the Raptors' defense has been incredible this postseason. And it's why I think Kevin Durant in this series is much more important than he was in any other. Like, you could get by against the Portland Trailblazers without Kevin Durant. Like, you didn't need him but it just allows the Raptors to be so much more versatile on defense. And ultimately when we're talking about who's going to defend Steph Curry and who's going to pick him up first, I don't think it matters too much just because the Warriors pet play is just pick and rolls, Like they love their dribble handoffs. They love their pick and roll plays. They're going to try to get switches. They're going to try to get Steph Curry onto different players. Even if it is Kawhi Leonard, that's how they try to free guys up. They're the best pick and roll team in the entire NBA numerically. And just by obviously with their talent, by not having Kevin Durant, and not having to start some of those actions where, you know, you're trying to get Danny Green off of him onto Kyle Lowry, having those difficult options where the Raptors, what? You're going to force Andre Iguodala to come in to play those actions if you have Kyle Lowry on him? Like, is that the switch you want? Even if you do get Kyle Lowry on a Steph Curry, that's not an automatic bucket. Kyle Lowry's still a good defender in his own right. Like, the Raptors' defense has been the best defense in the postseason so far. I had this one, too, from John Cheeman, which I thought was staggering. They've held each of their three opponents to at least seven fewer points per 100 possessions than they scored in the regular season. All three That includes the Milwaukee bucks. One of the best offenses in the entire NBA. That's why you need a weapon like Kevin Durant in this series is that you need to be able to find different options to force there to be pressure on this Raptors defense. And there's just no question that there's far less pressure when Kavon Looney is on the floor or Alex McKinney or Alex McKinney Alfonso Alfonso. That's it, not Alex. But anyways, when those guys are on the floor, I just think that there's just far fewer options that, that scare the crap out of you.
2: Well, you mentioned pick and roll, and often they can't get to the pick and roll because Steph is being double teamed and trapped as soon as he passes half court. Or another reason why Kawhi Leonard, in my belief, guards him is that mm-hmm. you're not double teaming, you're not helping, you're not compromising the rest of your defense. And you know, Curry gets a lot of hockey assists, not necessarily because he's making the pass towards the basket, but because the rest of the team is playing four on three. Yeah, and who's he leads that, the playoffs. Who's that decision maker making the pass after? Curry gives it up and gives up his offense for the betterment of the team. Draymond Green, the guy who leads them in assists, which is why you're not, for me, you're not double teaming because Kawhi's guarding him to start. But also when I mentioned who guards Steph, I also mentioned who guards Draymond and that would be Pascal. Because if you're doing pick and roll actions with Curry and Draymond, okay, we're comfortable. Pascal's on him on a switch. Mm -hmm. We feel good. And on flip side, Kawhi is on Draymond. We feel good. And so you're not overreacting and you're not in a situation like the Blazers are where Ennis Cantor is the pick-and-roll player and he's standing in the lane because he's not comfortable in the perimeter situations that Golden State wants to put you in. If you're listening to this and say, well, Golden State's going to say, fine, well, instead of a 1-4 pick-and-roll, we're going to do a 1-5 pick-and-roll. The Raptors will say, fine, sure, you want to bring Andrew Bogut into the action or Kevon Looney into the action or DeMarcus Cousins into the action offensively? And give them the ball it. and take the ball out of Steph Curry's hands. Win. Great. We're comfortable with that. We've just killed six, seven, eight, nine, ten seconds off of the shot clock, and someone who you don't want to have the ball to either shoot it or, in some instances, pass it has the ball.
3: But this is why I think Danny Green is so important in this series. It's not just his offense. It's not just the fact that he needs to knock down those threes. Is that you would really like him to be on Clay Thompson for this exact purpose? Is that if you do have Siakam on Draymond, if you do have Kawhi guarding Steph Curry for large stretches. And then you have Danny Green on Klay Thompson. This is what happens when you don't have Kevin Durant is there's really no matchup where you can involve two of your best three players on the floor. That really gives you a sizable advantage offensively. Like your best one is probably getting Steph Curry onto Pascal Siakam and forcing Siakam to, you know, play against a much quicker player. But even then, like that's no walk in the park for Steph Curry. Like that's not one of the matchups that he was used to getting in that Portland series. Like this is still three guys who have just a very high degree of switchability and I think can do a good job defending out to the perimeter on any one of those Warriors players.
2: This is why I'm looking forward to watching this series, rewatching it over and over again, to see all of the intricate changes in rotations and switches uh, in bench usage between Steve Kerr and Nick Nurse. It's going to be a chess match for however long the series lasts, and for however long the series lasts, here at Sportsnet, we've got you covered. And, and honestly, you've got us covered because the audiences that we saw in the Eastern Conference Finals, and they've been building all playoffs, crazy. The series clinching game reached 6.8 million Canadians. And that was a game six. Imagine what it would have been for game seven. 5.3 million viewers at the height at 11:10 p.m. when everything was going down. And over the course of the series, 8.4 million Canadians, which is a 77% increase from the previous conference finals that we saw in 2016, and let's be honest, we didn't really think the Raptors had a chance against LeBron. The numbers are crazy. And, and those numbers don't even include people who watched on Sports.net now. So make sure you get Sports.net now. If it's just a short packet, $7.99 for the next seven days, or do that twice for the entire series, unless you think it's gonna be over quick, wraps and four. We've got you covered. You can rewatch all the games on demand, rewatch all of our coverage. Also on the radio, they're doing a great job. And games two, four, and six are on SportsNet 590, the fan and six eighty news. One, three, five, and seven are on TV on Sportsnet, Sportsnet One, and Sportsnet now. It's it's going to be crazy to see the NBA finals broadcast by a Canadian broadcaster.
3: It's a really interesting point too about, you know, the streaming, because I think that the NBA has proven to have a very large digital audience and I do wonder what that true number would look like if we did start counting the streaming numbers and all of this. Because the point has been made already, but some of those hockey games that have done a little bit better of a number and some of them that have done a worse number than that game in recent history, Stanley Cup games, they're on CBC. Like, they're broadcast to every home in the country. This is on Sportsnet. Like, this is a specialty channel. And you still see a number like that. It's kind of eye-popping. And it goes back to that thing that I was talking about earlier, which is, you know, you wonder about the impact of this run to Canadian basketball in comparison to what Vince Carter and Steve Nash did for this country. And I think that there's a kind of a building case that this is kind of, this is the biggest moment. This is the crowning jewel for Canadian basketball. As much as some people for whatever reason don't want to accept the Toronto Raptors as Canada's team, uh, the inferiority complex of certain markets. But yeah, I think it's, it's massive.
2: Well, when you look at those streaming numbers in comparison to the TV numbers, yeah, th- that's an ad that you really can't quantify. Cause one on Saturday, the day of the game was the biggest single day sales. Mm-hmm. Of Sportsnet now, not even including all the people who had it before. So people are all in because they oh, want to consume. You got the it. deep
3: stats, you got the analytics. That's what
2: I do. Yeah. Uh, but but also that's not even including people who have the Sportsnet app who can log in, no matter who your local provider is, and watch on your phone. That way, I've heard so many stories of people who were at weddings, at bar mitzvahs, and they were watching, you know, the the clinching game at their table or with their friends. And we've got another two, two and a half weeks maybe of this. So it's going to be pretty cool to consume. It's yeah. going to be pretty cool to be part of the coverage. I know you're going to be down at uh, Media Day on Wednesday yep. doing your show. I'll be down there doing a live uh, digital show with Danielle Michaud and Faisal Kamisa and a cast of other Sportsnet characters. Whoever we can wrangle to be there and hang out. I'm excited great. for that. Yeah. And, and honestly... The fact that we've had loyal associates um, kind of listening to this podcast for a long time showing, you know, if we're being frank, our bosses and our bosses' bosses that there's an audience is a bigger reason why we're able to blow out this coverage the way we're about to.
3: So, yes, always thank you to the associates. I want to get back into the defense here for a little bit, but the, the flip side of this, because the reason why I'm curious about what Kawhi Leonard has to do defensively and the kind of workload you want to give him is that the Warriors in their own right have a really, really spectacular defensive group. But the things they can throw at Kawhi Leonard, he's going to be seeing looks of Andre Iguodala, and we'll see how healthy he is, but he's still a great defender. He's going to see Draymond Green. He's going to see Klay Thompson. And then there's going to be maybe a point in the series where he sees Kevin Durant as well. Do you see Kawhi Leonard continuing to be able to assert himself on offense? Do you think that they'll have a little bit more ability to guard him one-on-one because i think that's going to be interesting because i don't think they have to overload on him like some other teams have i think that they're going to be able to do a decent job of having those guys all switch on him and and play him one-on-one
2: it'll be a tall task it'll be the best defense he's seen that's including you know the sixers giving him a healthy dose of jimmy butler who he didn't really have too many issues with and then giving him the athleticism that ben simmons showed him i mean he never really got much of Giannis in the Eastern Conference Finals. It was a heavy dose of Middleton and Brogdon, but I mean, when you're talking about Draymond Green and Clay Thompson and Gadala, that's a step up. I think the thing that helps Kawhi is his ability to score in different areas. So you look at the looks that Golden State routinely gave James Harden not just this year and the last couple of years in the playoffs. It was a bit easy to defend. I don't want to say easy because Harden scored over 40 points for a month, but it, It's a bit easy to defend, especially when you're playing a guy every other day, because he's virtually getting the ball at the same place. Mm -hmm. He's taking shots at the same point in the shot clock. So what he's doing to you or trying to do to you as a defense is pretty rudimentary. Kawhi's a bit different. He can finish with both hands, which we've seen. His two biggest dunks have been with his left. It doesn't necessarily really matter because he can palm the ball so naturally. We've seen him get out in the fast break and finish and run the lanes. His three-point shot continues to get better. His handle and his first step, I think, at this point, are his greatest asset. And he's able to get to the rim and finish through contact. So when Kendrick Perkins is talking about the fact that he reminds you of Jordan, I think it's in the plethora of ways that he can score. And he started the playoffs against the Magic, cooking people with his mid-range game and his back-to-the-basket game in the mid-post turnaround fadeaways, pump fake, get you in the air, then going up and under he's going to see a lot of different looks and it's going to force him to go deep in his bag. But outside of Kevin Durant, he's the most accomplished refined scorer that we've seen.
3: What I find fascinating about this is that while the Warriors have a better cast of guys that are equipped to defend, I think Kawhi Leonard out to the perimeter, than even we saw with Middleton and Brogdon, although those guys did about as good of a job as you could possibly see is that what is lurking behind is not a Giannis Antetokounmpo. It's not a Joel Embiid. The paint is going to be more open against the Golden State Warriors. Like, I, I can absolutely see Pascal Siakam having more buckets at the rim. I think that you're going to be able to see Marcus Saul assert himself at the rim a little bit more. A guy who's, you know, basically taking all of his shots or more than half of his shots, I think, in the postseason so far from, well, from it, three. It depends who and the Kawhi. primary
2: defender is. Because sure. the primary defender is not Draymond Green. They have Draymond Green at the rim, who despite his height... yep. Has a huge wingspan, has great timing, and at this point in his career gets the benefit of the doubt when it comes to calls, Uh, blocking shots at the rim.
3: I just mean that as good as Draymond Green is, he is not the shot-blocking prowess that Joel Embiid or Giannis Tenekunbo are. Like, he is not as big of a deterrent. He is great. He is really, really good. But that's going to be, again, why Pascal Siakam, one of the most important things for the Raptors offense, and I think still going forward, is his ability to at least be decent on those corner threes at least be respectable on those corner threes. Don't let Draymond Green completely sag off of him, ignore him and, and pack the paint and force Kawhi Leonard to go through that. I still think that this is going to come down to, can the Raptors get their, their best series offensively? Like, can they get everyone knocking down shots? Can they continue to get a red hot Fred Van Vliet? Can they continue to get a confident Norm Powell? Can they continue to get uh, Serge Ibaka hitting those 18 footers? Because yes, the Raptors have are like, they're pretty fearless when it comes to the mid range. Like that's the kind of an area that they embrace, whether it's Kawhi Leonard or Serge Ibaka. But, I feel like they are going to have a little bit more confidence going to the basket than they did in those last two series. And I really am curious to see how Pascal Siakam does with this matchup because yes, Draymond Green is an elite defender and he'll probably relish the challenge of defending him a little bit further out, not just sagging off of Pascal, but can he assert himself more at the basket? Can the other Raptors do a better job at getting to the rim? And the other part is like the rebounding, right? So that those other teams, the Bucks and the Sixers are the best rebounding teams in the NBA. And that was a real problem for the Raptors, was keeping them off the offensive glass and making them almost concede sometimes in that series, going for their own offensive rebounds. I don't think that the matchup is as staggering for the Raptors in this series. Like, I don't think that the Warriors present the same kind of things with Kavon Looney and Draymond Green on the offensive glass that, again, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Brooke Lopez, and Joel Embiid did. You're not wrong, but you're not right. I think... You're as worried about rebounding and, and rim protection in these two series? Like, I just think that those two things now kind of tilt a little bit back more to the Raptors. I trust, as a rim protector, Marcus Gasol and Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam on an aggregate more than I trust Draymond Green and Kavon Looney.
2: I don't, like, I don't know how many minutes Marcus Gasol is going to be able to play in this series.
3: Oh, I think he'll be fine. I think he proved himself in that Buck series. Like, can't you put Marcus Gasol and Kavon Looney? What's the problem with that? What, you can't put him on Jordan Bell? I think, no, if anything, no,
2: you can't put him on Steph Curry and a switch is what you can't do.
3: We have had a couple of moments where we have doubted how Marcus All can assert himself into a series and how he can play as a defender. And no, no, not very many people can defend Steph Curry in an open space. But I think if you're looking at centers and the way that they've played so far, I'm not about to doubt Marc Gasol. Like, do you really think that the Serge Rocket Ibaka... said
2: we can't play Clint Capella, yep. who is infinitely faster and more fleet of foot than I don't Marc think Gasol. he's a better
3: defender than Marc Gasol, though, honestly. I think Marcus Gasol moves his feet better, and he's better anticipator than Clint Capella is.
2: You're more comfortable with Marc Gasol getting caught in a pick-and-roll situation yeah. than Clint Capella.
3: I'm as confident, yes.
2: Clint Capel got paid because he was supposed to be able to do that. And just at the level that the Warriors play at, he couldn't. Tristan Thompson, in a very similar way, he was like the prototype of this big who is agile and can move mm-hmm. his feet. And then when it came to the finals, it's like, yeah, no, you can't do it at this but, level.
3: But that's the thing is like there's not a big on the planet that is going to be able to switch on to Steph Curry and really stay in front of him and do a great job. Sure. But Marcus Sol struggled to switch on to DJ Augustine and do a great job. See, I don't agree with that. Like, I think that. Did you see the
2: last play of Game One? Yeah,
3: I I did. But I've also seen. I'm not just going to take one play. I'm going to take the entire postseason. And what we've seen over the entire postseason is that Marcus Stoll is absolutely still an elite, elite, elite defensive player. Whether it's his ability to come over in the help, whether it's ability to defend out in space and move his feet, and you know take a foul at the right time, actually block a shot. I think Marcus Stoll fits great into this series. Like, I, I love seeing Gasol as kind of offensively as someone that they can throw it into the high post that they can maybe get it even lower when the Warriors go smaller, when the Warriors go small, I don't see a problem with having Marcus Gasol out there trying to create offense and forcing Draymond green onto him and maybe freeing things up for a Pascal Siakam. I don't see a problem with him defending Jordan bell or Kevon Looney and mostly acting as a help defender and coming over and saying, yeah, okay, no, don't worry. We're not going to switch. Like, we're going to double. We're going to trap. I think we're going to let you force it into Kevon Looney and make him make a decision.
2: I think if DeMarcus Cousins plays, yep. I think Marc Gasol plays a lot. And I think if he doesn't play, he doesn't play. Okay, I mean, but, hold on. But Let's,
3: we'll see. You think he's playing like under 25 minutes a game in the series? Yes. No, see, I'll take that over. I'll put a little well, bet what, on that.
2: Well, hold on. We'll do it this way. What's his average minutes right now? Well, he's not going to be at his average. Why tough guy? I thought you said he's going to play well, a big because, role in this
3: series. Well, because his average is also skewed by playing in overtimes and having a double overtime where he pay, played like forty-five minutes.
2: Okay, do you want to get his median average? How do you want to do this? Yeah. I'm not a mathematician. Well, I told you. But, that, I mean, there could. It's not like there is no possibility. There's going to be overtimes
3: in the finals. I think you're going to see very similar deployment of Marc Gasol. That you've seen all postseason long and that he fits just fine in the series and that we've already done the overthink with him in terms of whether he can stay on the floor and how he's going to have an impact. He stretches the floor well for you. He's still going to be able to knock down a three against the warriors. He's going to force them into making some tough decisions of their own defensively. And he's proven that if you don't have something that is ultimately threatening to him, that as a help defender, like he was in that Milwaukee series, like look, he was defending out on Brooke Lopez all the way out to the perimeter. He did ultimately a pretty good job on him. Game one was tough. And then after that, where was Brook Lopez? Like, he didn't have a monster impact in that series. When the Bucks went smaller and they went Giannis basically at the five and they had all those guards running around and all those shooters running around, Marcus was fine. Yeah, he was it, trapping this player that was getting into the paint. And, and if I'm the, them, I'm and saying...
2: the point guard on the floor was Eric Bledsoe, not Steph Curry. Like, someone who you wanted to shoot, not yep. someone who you were scared to death that was going to shoot. But I've already said, like, they're not going to try to involve Kavon Looney into
3: most of the actions with Steph Curry. I don't think that that's going to be your primary objective here. Like you're still going to be trying to get Clay Thompson involved, Draymond Green involved in these things. Like I'm not going to live in fear of leaving Marcus Gasol out there when he's had the postseason that he's had. Then you're going to lose in four. So you think that Serge Ibaka coming in there is going to be doing that much better of a job on Steph Curry?
2: Yes. But I also don't think Serge Ibaka is is going to be playing as many minutes. I think this, this is going to be a series for people who are six, eight and under unless cousins is playing big minutes and he may not play at all to start. I think this is going to be a series where people are playing super, super small. This is going to be the future of basketball where everyone is switching everything. Mm. That's what I think. So, what Marcus, do you think?
3: There's going to be like Siakam five, yes, and yes, Kawhi because I four. think there's going to
2: be Draymond yep. five and Clay and Iguodala four, and certainly Durant four if he's playing. Marcus Sola is averaging 24.9 minutes as Raptors, basically 25. So let's put it at 25.
3: Sure, I'll take the over on 25 happily.
2: I mean, I'm giving you a discount cuz he's averaging 31.2 in the playoffs.
3: Yes, that's what I'm saying. He's definitely going to play over 25 minutes so, a night.
2: Okay, so you so you do you want to put the line at 30 then? Since you feel so confident? No, I don't want to put it at 30 because do you want to split the difference. Want to put it at 27.5? Sure.
3: I'll take over 27.5. Okay, great. Yeah. I'll take over 27.5 for Marcus Hall.
2: 27 minutes and 30 seconds.
3: Yeah. Here's what what I find really hilarious about this. The associates, the long-term listeners, will know that you and I have had the exact same discussion about a big staying on the floor, but it was Jonas Valanciunas, and you were in, like, camp... You got to leave JV in there against the Cavaliers and all no, their smaller lineups. That's you got You can't let them dictate. You got to throw it into the big man. You got to have him out there. And all of a sudden, the Raptors have a guy who's more versatile offensively and defensively. And you're like,
2: how is this guy going to stay be on in the politics, floor? Because you take someone's <laughs> platform and then you just bend it. My <laughs> point with Jonas I and, be in sports radio and, that's and what over it time it was proven correct is not I, did I think he could guard in the perimeter? No, no. it was on the flip side. If you're going to play small. He is a very talented offensive scorer from the right block. Punish that team. Put that small defender into foul trouble. Get in the bonus early. Like, you don't just have to wave a white flag and let the other team decide what you do. Marcus Hall had a layup, and he threw it to the other side of the court. Yeah, Like, his shots offensively now are solely from three-point shot, three-point land. He thinks he's Ryan Anderson or Channing Frye. No, that was what he was given in that series, though. He was given a layup and he threw it away. Yeah. He's not, since he's become a Raptor, and I think to start it was to fit in and then he struggled a little bit and now here we are. He's not looked for his offense in and around the basket. He just hasn't. He hasn't looked comfortable. And so if Marcus Gasol was three-time All-Star Marcus Gasol who's punishing people on the block, then i say, sure, put your forearm in Draymond's chest. Mm. But that's not happening. He's floor spacer at this point. I think Marcus Gasol is capable
3: of doing what you ask him to do. And so far in the postseason, the Raptors have asked him to shoot above the break threes. Like, with a really high volume. And but that ultimately, do you but not
2: agree that even when he has the ball in the post... That he's, he's as looking, good as JV? No, that he's looking
3: to pass, not looking to score. Sure, I think he is, but I still do think that he's a smart enough player to recognize that if the Warriors went really small... And all of a sudden Draymond Green is on him that that's going to open up passing opportunities for other people and that the Raptors are going to have a mismatch somewhere else that you are going to be able to find, you know, a diving to the basket Pascal Siakam or a diving to the basket Kawhi Leonard and have them finish over someone that's smaller than them. Like So I think it comes with advantages and disadvantages. All I'm saying is, I think Marc Gasol still fits in this series. Are there going to be some moments where you're like, oh my God, he got switched on a Steph and Steph knocks a three down in his face or gets fouled by him? Of course, that's going to happen to any big man. I just think that Gasol has proven so far through the postseason that his versatility is still high, that he can still defend with the best of the bigs in the NBA, and that he's going to have a place in the NBA finals based on his shooting, his playmaking, and his defense. And his rebounding. Again, his rebounding is going to be a needed in a series where the Raptors are going to probably have at least a closer advantage on the glass. Like they've been one of the worst rebounding teams in the entire postseason so far. They've been getting hemorrhaged by the Bucs and the Sixers. And to the point where, you know, the Raptors basically had to make it a point of emphasis where they said it's all about rebounding. It's all about cleaning up the defensive glass. It's not going to be that big of an issue against the Warriors. You're going to have more defensive rebounds. You're going to have more outlet passes from Marcus Gasol. And you're going to la- let the Raptors do one of their most efficient things, which is scoring in transition. Like there's all this talk of the Bucs, you can't let them get out in transition. And the Warriors, you can't let them get out in transition. Same goes for the Raptors.
2: They're one of the most efficient uh, transition teams in the NBA. Game one is on Thursday. We will revisit this conversation. We will. On Friday, when Marcus plays 45 minutes and the Raptors lose by 31. Uh, <laughs> we need to get to our guests. So before we go, I will concede the floor to you. Would you like to make a prediction? I'm going to say...
3: Raptors in seven I'm a homer I don't care I think that home court advantage matters it's a really interesting matchup because by net rating the Warriors are the best road team in the playoffs and the Raptors have been the second best home team behind only Milwaukee who they just beat and I think in a weird way they kind of waxed because they beat them four straight I think the Raptors are going to win this series if there's no Kevin Durant I think if Kevin Durant comes back the Warriors are going to win this series let's how about that for a prediction I got one more question to you for you before you go though give me your prediction and then let me ask you a question
2: Kevin Durant does not play Raptors in five.
3: If, Here's the thing. You've just made yourself into a Toronto Hall of Famer if that prediction comes through because people are going to play that on different
2: platforms. Listen, I have to leave this platform and go and yeah. film that prediction. So I'm really putting putting it out there on front Strait. If Kevin Durant does play... Warriors, in five.
3: Okay, here's my quick question to you. Because you are a Steph Curry guy. You are someone that's interviewed him. As you said, you wouldn't let me even make fun of Steph Curry's shoes because you love him so much. He's your favorite player maybe ever. Is that fair? You, you shrug because sure. you know it's true. Yeah, sure. And- what do you think a finals MVP would mean to his legacy? Like, does he need it? Does he need this thing on the resume? Or are we already basically accepting who he is and that, yeah, he would have had one if it's not for being next to Kevin Durant in a postseason?
2: If you are a hot take artist and you're constantly juggling the Mount Rushmore of players and point guards and you need him to win another finals MVP for his CV, for his resume, then I'm sure that that helps his legacy, right? The only point guard who has a better resume at this point than him is Magic Johnson. Mm -hmm. And the difference virtually is finals MVPs. Steph has regular season MVPs. He's been part of a dynasty. He's won championships. He's surpassed in that, perspective the John Stockton's and Kevin Johnson's and Jason kids and Isaiah Thomas's of the world magic is the only other guy really to compare him to however if you are a lover of kind of the purity of the sport lover of the the fact that he's changed the way we think of shooting the basketball the change the way we think of shooting the basketball off the dribble Mm -hmm. and a catch-and-shoot player and running off the screens he's changed to me the way we think of being a teammate and all these super teams were just about guys grouping up with their friends. He showed that being a part of a super team is about real sacrifice, about being a team guy, about setting a real culture. To me, those are the lasting things about his legacy that w- won't change no matter what happens over the next two weeks. The, the Trey Youngs of the world and the guys coming after that are going to model their game after Steph, the way Steph modeled his game as a hybrid of Steve Nash and Reggie Miller, I think that's going to be his true legacy. I mean, how many people were you know saying when they signed up for the high school team, "I want a thirty jersey"? No disrespect to Dell, but the only people who said that were Steph and Seth. Mm-hmm. And now it's like one of those numbers. I want twenty-three. I want thirty. I mean, people still don't say I want thirty-five like Kevin Durant. Like I don't think any good basketball player, maybe Tracy Murray. Who's the other good basketball player that won War 35? But people said, yeah, I wanted one like T-Mac, and, and now they're saying I want 30 like Steph. Drake has a, the number 30 tattooed on his body for Steph Curry. So yeah, I, th- I think his legacy as a teammate, as a transcendent player in the game is already solidified. But for the first takes of the world, I think in a finals MVP gives them a couple days of content to then re-rank him and how they see him in this era. So
3: I think... You're right in terms of if you're going to use the lack of a finals MVP to Steph, tear Steph Curry down, then you're doing it wrong. And then you are probably just being a hot take artist because you're right. For the most part, his legacy is, I won't say sealed because, yeah, I think there's a really, there's a still a higher ceiling to go with more championships and more play. But that the floor is already established. That Steph Curry is inarguably one of the best 15 NBA players of all time. And his impact in the game, the things that you just touched on are again, inarguable. He is changing the way the game is played and he's changing the way that younger players play the game and the way that they look at the game. I do think though, that the finals MVP in this series specifically would go a long way in terms of cementing his legacy as that player, because if he can beat the Toronto Raptors and say, let's say Kevin Durant does not come back in this series someone who I think has a massive, massive impact against the Raptors. I, and I know that's what a hot take. You think that one of the best basketball players, if not the best basketball player on the planet in KD changes things. But if Steph can go back and win a title without KD against an elite defensive team, again, one that has been holding elite offenses to more than seven points less per hundred possessions throughout the entire postseason, that this could become Steph Curry's signature finals. Like, This will be the one that people go back and remember like that's the Steph Curry finals. That's the one KD wasn't there because I still think right now none of the finals are his. He was there and everybody acknowledges that, you know, he's an integral piece and that, you know, the last year he was basically almost a split decision with Kevin Durant for finals MVP. Like I just think here he is on a stage essentially by himself without Durant and all due respect to Draymond, all due respect to Clay, that if the Warriors win this series without KD, it's going to come down to how brilliant Steph Curry was. And if he can lock up that finals MVP, I do think that changes his ceiling. And now you get to get into the conversations of, is he the best point guard of all time?
2: Well, I think the first finals is his. I think because LeBron James was so good as an opponent, stole some MVP votes, and people gave Iguodala some MVP votes. That's what I mean, though,
3: you forget a little bit about Steph. He's but more if forgettable if, but in that you, series. If you
2: forget, you weren't paying attention because there is a misnomer that he hasn't been good In the finals. But I'm not not making that case. case. He has been good in the finals. I'm I'm not saying you are. But here are his finals numbers. 27.3 points per game. 45% from the floor. 41% from three. 5.9 rebounds. 5.4 assists. And four final strips. Now he's going to a fifth. Oh, and it's against the team that he's 15-2 and against in his career. And he has his best counting stats in almost every category against the Toronto Raptors. But that's
3: what I'm saying. If you pair those numbers with a finals MVP and a signature finals where all the attention is on him, I think that does change something in terms of the way he is perceived.
2: Yeah, maybe, but it shouldn't. If he walks across the street and breaks his ankle and never plays basketball again, he's already a first ballot Hall of Famer. So, I mean, what what are we talking about? But we will be talking about this much more. And maybe you can ask our next guest this very question. This is Free Association. Keep listening.
0: The Golden State Warriors are headed for their fifth NBA Finals appearance in a row. The Warriors completed a four-game sweep of the Trailblazers in Portland, 119-117 in overtime the final. The Warriors will meet the winner of the Milwaukee Bucks-Toronto Raptors series with the Bucks holding a two-game-to-one lead in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Toronto Raptors are... E- the Toronto Raptors captured their first Eastern Conference title for the first time in their 24-season history after knocking off the number one seed Milwaukee Bucks 100-94. It was their fourth win in a row after losing the first two games of the series in Milwaukee, and the fans celebrated singing O Canada in downtown Toronto. So for the first time in history, the NBA Finals will open in Canada in the league's first international championship round. Toronto will host the two-time defending champion Golden State Warriors on Thursday.
3: Now joining us on Free Association, Connor Latorno from the San Francisco Chronicle. He's a Warriors beat writer. You can follow him at con underscore cron and cron spelt exactly like the stuff that we legalized up here. Not too long ago. Hey Connor, uh, you just flew in. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So you said you were arriving at like four o'clock. Are you just like plugged in? You told me you're charging your phone. Are you just like <laughs> sitting at one of those airport terminals, like on the floor right now? Or did you actually make it to your hotel?
0: I made it to my hotel. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm at the Sheridan, uh in downtown like in, in that underground area where it's kind of okay. like a mole
3: yeah. type situation <laughs> yeah <laughs> not afraid of the fans coming and beating down your doors eh? like all the Laternites. Uh, turnites or... yeah yeah you you use a fake name when you're at the sheridan anyways they know the drill uh when you come through Fair, town right. but anyways man it's a, it's a great to get you on and as we were setting things up mentioned that while you were in the air you know you confirmed it that kevin durant is traveling with the golden state warriors and my co on and Ben and I were discussing it a lot on this podcast already, but the idea of how he shapes this series and how there's kind of been this runaway narrative that the warriors are better without him. And I think that's pretty silly when you consider that, you know, he's arguably the best scoring talent on the planet. He's a seven footer that can defend multiple positions. And he's been a two time finals MVP, but the mystery around this injury is fascinating to me because yeah, he is traveling now, which would lead you to believe that there's a chance of him playing But basically, everyone I've talked to over the past couple of days seems very doubtful that he gets into this series at all unless it extends into maybe Game 6 or Game 7. Like, Do you have any read on this situation or why it's been so murky?
0: Yeah, I'm kind of of the mindset of the people you've probably already talked to. I mean, as you know, I don't know if you've ever had a calf injury, but they can be difficult to gauge. Uh, When they initially announced it, they called it a mild Calf strain, uh, but they were reluctant to re- release the actual grade of the strain, so we didn't know if it was grade one, grade two. You know, in the past he had had grade one calf strains and he'd missed about a week, and so a lot of people, since they were calling it mild, assumed it might be that the same case. But this one's obviously more serious. The reality is, it's probably at least a grade two, and uh, he's been out now three weeks, and he hasn't even been cleared for on-court work besides some very light shooting on his own. He hasn't been cleared for any work with the team. So, you know, you know how this process goes. You need to be cleared for non-contact work with the team. Then you need to be cleared for contact work with the team before they're going to even consider clearing you for an NBA game. And so you look at that timeline, uh, he's obviously already been ruled out for game one. He's here, so it's conceivable that he could potentially play game two It's hard to imagine he actually does, though, uh, because they have two days between games. I don't think that's enough time to to not only get in contact work, but get his conditioning where it needs to be to play an NBA game. So I think best-case scenario, you're looking at maybe game three. That's absolutely best-case scenario. Um, I would not be surprised, though, if he didn't play at all in these
3: finals. It's just funny because from a precedent standpoint and from a logic standpoint, everything you're saying sounds exactly correct. It's funny because there's Raptors fans here that are like, it's a conspiracy. They just, it's a, there's a throw them off the scent that Kevin Durant's ready to go. I was like, I'm pretty sure they'd put him in game one if he was uh, if he was closer to ready to go or that he'd be playing 2 on 2 or that he'd be getting some workouts in. Other than just whether he plays or not. And, and I do want to get into how this changes some of the, the matchup machinations, but... Do you have a thought on how this kind of affects the way he's perceived in Golden State? Because there have been all of these, like I mentioned before, these narratives that all of a sudden the Warriors are having fun again. All of a sudden, these are the entertaining Warriors. These are the Warriors that everybody likes to watch. These guys are relishing the moment without Kevin Durant. I saw his his media availability the other day where he was pretty contentious when someone said, you know, you're watching those guys, and he snapped and said, we, uh, or us, uh, in reference to the Golden State Warriors. Like, does this change how people there are viewing his two finals MVPs, how his tenure has been viewed at all, or is that just something that's kind of out of market and more for, yeah, national or more hot take radio shows?
0: I don't think it really changes how people in the Bay view him because I think they've always kind of looked at him as somewhat of a separate entity from the Warriors. It's never really been a a natural fit in a lot of ways just because he is one of the best, if not the best, isolation scorer. In NBA history, and this is a team where their offense is completely predicated on ball movement, moving off the ball, uh, making that extra pass. And, you know, there have been times where he's been able to kind of assimilate into that style, but too often for fans' liking, and I think even the Warriors' liking, uh, he gives into forcing isolation situations, and, and that makes it tough for them to run their system. And you, you see it kind of. Taking away from what guys like Steph and Clay do really well, so I think you were seeing that earlier in these playoffs. They went seven and four to start these playoffs when Durant was averaging over thirty-four points per game on over fifty percent shooting. So he was absolutely dominating, but Clay and Steph weren't playing at the level they want to be playing at, and, and the role guys weren't really emerging in any way. And so what you've seen since he's been out, they've been five and zero against an overmatch. Admittedly, an overmatched Blazers team, but you've seen Steph play some of the best basketball of his career. Clay's playing phenomenally. Draymond's playing some of the best best basketball of his career. Role guys like Alphonso McKinney, uh, Jonas Jarebko, Jordan Bell, guys who weren't even playing when Durant was available, have really stepped up. So I understand why there is kind of the narrative: Are the Warriors better without Kevin Durant? And it's not. I, it's, it's Obviously, you're always going to be better when you have one of the best players in the world, you would think, right? But the reality is they do tend to get away from what they want to do when they have Durant out there. And when he's not out there, uh, there's more of an onus to play the way they want to play. So I actually do think that there is some merit to them actually being better without him because they actually are doing the things they need to do to run their offense.
3: What's going to be super interesting though is like if Katie is in this series, the assumption is that Kawhi Leonard defends him or has to defend him, and there's already been so much discussion about you know the odometer for Kawhi Leonard and how he's going to be able to hold up through this postseason with like the offensive load that he carries with this team, the amount of minutes that he has to have, he's got a little bit of a knee injury, is like what happens if all of a sudden he needs to guard Kevin Durant and. I am going to be probably almost more curious than anything in this entire series than to see how the Raptors try to line up defensively against the Warriors. Cause I would kind of assume that Iguodala and Draymond and clay are all going to get minutes against Kawhi, but there's this real point of interest of, okay, the guy that was just defending Giannis Attenecombe more effectively than anybody in the post season and basically anybody in the NBA is like who he's going to match up against. Do you think though, maybe that it's, you know, a little bit different considering that, the Warriors are playing this team in the Raptors that rely so heavily on Kawhi Leonard and, and what he's doing for them that it's going to be very, very different than, again, playing against that overmatched group that you mentioned in the Trailblazers.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kawhi was just absolutely phenomenal in the East Finals. I mean, I, I don't need to tell you, he, that was one of the more impressive individual series I've ever seen from any player ever. He was just so special on both sides of the ball. And in my mind, for... The Raptors to have a chance against the Warriors, even without Durant, he needs to play as well, if not better, than he did against Milwaukee. And that's asking a lot because, like you said, he shouldered such a big load. The biggest reason why I think the Warriors have an edge, a massive edge, a decisive edge, I should say, over the Raptors even without Durant is they have so many defensive options on Kawhi, and I don't think that the Raptors match up as well defensively with the Warriors, I don't think they have someone who can really stop Steph uh, or Clay when they get going. And obviously, that that would be a big benefit if they are able to have Durant for at least a couple games because it can kind of help ease the defensive burden on some of those other guys. He, he's just another body to throw out there. I think his back, and and he's also going to be testing Kawhi because you got to imagine Kawhi is going to be matched up with him defensively. So that's big. But I also think they like clay thompson i think they like andre i think for stretches draymond can can handle Kawhi. none of those guys are going to stop Kawhi, but they're as good of options as any team has in this league
3: yeah i think that they do have an advantage in that they they're not going to have to overload or you're not going to see them deploy their guys the way that the bucks did in that series which was like throw everyone at Kawhi and force the other guys to beat you or at least give them as many wide open looks that I think that, yeah, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andre Godala, they will do better in isolation against Kawhi Leonard than even a Malcolm Brogdon did, who I thought played great in that series. But that's the other part of this, though, right, is that you you look at those guys and, and what they're going to be able to do to Kawhi. The inverse is I think there's a lot of merit to what you're saying in that Kawhi made sense against Giannis Antetokounmpo. And then when you start to look at everybody else, it feels like Steph Curry will be able to take advantage of a defensive matchup against a guy like Kyle Lowry, or that, you know, how are you going to defend Clay? Is it going to be with Danny Green, who hasn't been able to knock down a shot? Like, there's, there are going to be some really interesting question marks as to how the Raptors handle this defensively. The one good thing they do, though, is switch out on so many different positions and have that kind of similar fact of the Warriors, where they just have multiple bodies that can defend out to the perimeter. And it's something else we were kind of debating earlier, which is like, do you think that this ends up just being like a smaller series, that the Warriors, if they don't have Kevin Durant... Or, even if Boogie Cousins does get into this, like you mentioned it uh, in, on one of your pieces in the Chronicle that you know he's still working on getting his conditioning back, right that it's I, I can't imagine right. Boogie Cousins is playing you know thirty minutes in these games thirty five minutes in these games, that ultimately this series is going to be decided by who has the better small ball lineup.
0: I agree with that. I think Toronto needs to go small against the Warriors. Uh, I'm very curious to see what Nick Nurse does. I'm sure he he has some ideas. I'm sure this is something he's probably been thinking about for months in the back of his mind, knowing that if they got through the East, they'd almost definitely be facing the Warriors. So I think he's probably got some ideas. But that, to me, is the only way you can really handle the Warriors is you have to match that small ball lineup, which I'm sure they're going to lean on. Uh, as you mentioned, DeMarcus, even if he's available He's only going to play spot minutes. I saw him scrimmaging yesterday. I, I tweeted out a video of him scrimmaging. He does not look good. His conditioning isn't even close to where it needs to be. So if he plays, it's not going to be big minutes. And kind of to go back a little bit to what we are talking about in terms of defensive matchups, part of the reason why I think the Warriors match up so well against the Raptors is that it's not just about Kawhi. I think Kawhi is going to need a little bit of help, and the Warriors know how to stop a guy like Kyle Lowry. I think Kyle Lowry, in in a lot of ways, is very similar to Chris Paul, who the Warriors shut down in the second round, and they know exactly what to do against that type of point guard. Uh, And then Pascal Siakam, he's going to see a ton of Draymond, which is going to be quite the daunting test for him. So I see it being a situation where the Warriors shut down those complimentary guys, and that puts even more pressure on Kawhi and Kawhi's already happened to deal with Andre Iguodala and Klay Thompson and potentially Durant. I mean, that's just so much to ask for from Kawhi.
3: Well, especially since Toronto has leaned pretty heavily on Marcus Hall through this postseason, and if it does become a situation where he's too big to stay on the floor, that's why, I don't know, if you, I think if you're a Raptors fan, you're kind of welcoming these Boogie Cousins minutes because it allows you to play Gasol And you probably have a center matchup against uh, a a hobbled Boogie Cousins or a not at 100% Boogie Cousins that you have the advantage of. And it it just allows Toronto to kind of go to one of the lineups I think they're more comfortable with. If they lose Gasol, I still think that a lot of those lineups are not so proven. And he's been so integral to them in terms of what they do on offense and getting ball movement and, and spreading things out by kind of offering a little bit of shooting and giving them some cohesiveness on that end. And they finally have a little bit of continuity on offense And now all of a sudden, yeah, there's a potential anyways that that Marcus Saul does come off the floor. I'm optimistic that he does stay on and that the Raptors do roll with him and show him some confidence based on the way he's defended. But yeah, it's tricky. The one thing I am really curious about in terms of how the Raptors match up with their offense is going to be Siakam because Draymond is a problem for him. But what the Bucs and the Sixers did against him was throw a big size advantage on him and putting Joel Embiid around the cup and putting Giannis around the basket and kind of taking away those layups or him getting into the paint and being able to finish over smaller guys. And a big thing in this series, I think is going to be whether Siakam can kind of get more to his spots against Draymond Green and finish over him in the paint. But I guess that you don't feel like that's going to be a major factor for the Raptors in the series that Draymond will do a better job of keeping him away.
0: Yeah, I think he can handle Siakam because in a lot of ways they're very similar players. And, Draymond is uh, kind of a basketball savant, and I think he understands exactly what Siakam wants to do, and he's going to be able to kind of close off a lot of those spots. Uh, Steve Kerr actually called Siakam a young Draymond the other day, which I thought was an interesting comparison. I actually think Siakam's a little bit better offensively, but uh, I understood what he was getting at when he said that. And to be completely honest with you, I think if you gave Steve Kerr true serum, he would never say this, but – I think if he was being totally candid, he almost wishes that he would probably almost wish that Cousins wasn't close to being able to come back because it kind of puts Steve in a little bit of an awkward position where obviously DeMarcus wants to play. Never played in the playoffs until this year, only got to play a game and a half or less than a game and a half before he got injured. But he just does not, I don't think he matches up particularly well. With Toronto, and he's not physically where he needs to be, and so in a perfect world, I think I think that uh, Steve would actually rather have Kevon Looney eating up all those minutes. Kevon's been a really nice, steadying presence for them all season, and I, I think he feels more comfortable playing him against a Marcus Sol or a Siakam than than Cousins.
3: I gotta say that's actually been a little frustrating is how good Kevon Looney has been because the Warriors' depth is getting tested, and you mentioned that like one of the byproducts of having no Kevin Durant and having no DeMarcus Cousins is like some of these depth players have, sh- have shown up, right? Like Cook had a good game. Fonzo McKinney, the former Raptors 9 5 guy, has, has had some contributions. And, yeah, now Looney's playing well. And you're like, okay, that was supposed to be the one thing that George was going to get exposed which, here. Yeah.
0: And that one came out of nowhere. He was completely in the doghouse. And he was really solid in Game 6 against Houston and then had some really nice moments against the Blazers. He'll be getting meaningful minutes in this series, which – I never would have predicted a couple weeks ago.
3: What's up with Andre Iguodala, though, too, because, you know, he misses the closing game and, you know, he's talking a lot, I guess, to you guys about how he's older and kind of maybe hinting at retirement a little bit. But do you, he always
0: uh, does that. He he likes to jerk around about that. He'll finish out his contract though.
3: Yeah. So he, so if he finishes up the contract, what's that left? Two years? Yeah, he's got another two years. So he's clearly not at 100%, but is this kind of closer to the Kawhi Leonard injury where it's like, okay, you're not at 100%, but it's not hobbling enough that we're overly concerned about it?
0: I don't think they're particularly concerned. Steve came out in their first practice after the West Finals and said he'll play game one. I mean, it helps that they've had, they have had a nine-day break between games. I think he just needed a little bit of rest. He's been practicing the past couple of days. You know, the, the thing about Andre is he is older and he has some knee tendinitis that will flare up here and there. Um, And right now it's a a calf tightness. And and so uh, those things can all kind of be somewhat related. And so you you never know when something like that's going to flare up. But I honestly feel like his availability is even more important than Durant's availability in this series because of how good he is defensively on a guy like Kawhi. They need a healthy Andre Iguodala, and so I think they feel good about where he's at right now, but that'll definitely be something important to monitor for sure.
3: So you've got a piece up right now about Steph Curry, and I know it's been a topic of conversation going everywhere, which is like what a finals MVP means to Steph, to be able to pair that with the playoff resume that he has, to kind of have his own signature run, to have one. And, And there is some... There is some poeticism to him coming back to Toronto and potentially having it here, right? Like starting on the road, starting in a place where, you know, he got shots up uh, when his father played for the Toronto Raptors, him having his wife who's from Canada, that this is a, a spot for Steph Curry to kind of, yeah, I, I think it, truly have his signature finals, even though this one won't be against LeBron or maybe carry as much of the uh, the gravitas going into it. but. How do you see this playing out for Steph in terms of him locking down a finals MVP or what that actually means to his legacy? It feels like his floor is already there, but there is something to adding this to the shelf, no?
0: Oh, yeah. It's really the only thing on his resume that he doesn't have right now. I mean, you look at at what he's accomplished. He's accomplished everything in this sport other than a finals MVP. He's a two-time NBA MVP several-time champion. Uh, He's done it all except for that Finals MVP. A lot of people felt like he should have won Finals MVP last year. It was really close between him and Durant, uh, but Durant ended up getting the edge, I think, justifiably. But now with Durant expected to miss some time, potentially miss the entire series, Steph is very well positioned to win that, assuming the Warriors win win the title. He's obviously been playing the best basketball of his career. Dude averaged 36 points per game in the West finals um, shooting a great clip. I mean, that's the most points per game in a, in a series sweep in playoff history. So uh, he's in as good of a spot as he's been. And what you've seen is kind of what I talked about earlier, where with Durant out, it's kind of emboldened him to do the Steph Curry things that we're used to seeing the 30 foot jumpers, the dazzling group dribbling displays, the scoop shots. He is just playing even more confident because he doesn't have to worry about seeding to, a rant. so I think it'd be pretty cool for him to show out in Toronto, where you know his wife is from Markham. You know this, yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with Markham, mm-hmm. uh, and he uh, he spent two years here in middle school when his dad was with the Raptors, so he still has uh, some really fond memories of the city. He was saying that he can't wait to get some Maynards, you know that candy. Yeah, uh, always, that's not in the states. Always, no,
3: I've oh. never even heard of it. Um, until he mentioned oh, yeah. it. you gotta get some manners, buddy. This is, a, if you like gummies, like, that's all, you gotta get in on that.
0: Uh, he loves it. He said it, he, he likes it even better than, uh, Sour Patch Kids, Uh, he said he stocks up when he comes here. He said that's one of his favorite things about coming back here.
3: I love that because it's like, yeah, I'm sure it's really difficult for you, Steph Curry, multimillionaire, uh, to get whatever you want in the States. Like, you gotta be here to get the Maynards. Like, you couldn't just get truckloads yeah, I mean, of it. You know how it is. It's like him saying that he's getting the you know, is and sending it you gotta, to him forever. You
0: gotta go do the Canadian things. Yeah. I first thing I did when I got here was I went to Tim Hortons yeah. and, uh, You know, you just, it's not the same unless you're actually in the
3: place. Yeah. Do you do like an Instagram post? You're like, hey, this is me. I'm in Canada. Here's the, I'm I'm here. I got a cup of coffee. I got a Tim Hortons. I'm going to grab a poutine. Yeah. I think that the power rankings for me, if you're like going to go into Canadian like delicacies or Canadian things that we get, is like, you have to get a poutine. Like, you just have to go somewhere and grab like a legitimate one. Don't go to like McDonald's and and try to get it done. Go to like even a smokes, uh, like a fast food place. Get a poutine. See what the rage is about because it's either hit or miss and everyone either loves poutine or hates it. And then I would always just say, like, Lays, ketchup chips, or all-dressed chips, ruffles. Like, those are the first, it's like the, the three <laughs> things you got to hit. The Mainers I didn't know about until now. Maybe a coffee crisp. Mix that in. Maybe a coffee crisp or an Aero Bar. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hey. I'm trying to go to the Hockey Hall of Fame. I've never been, so Yeah, that's
3: on my. Oh, yeah, always fun. Can't, it can't go wrong at Hockey Hall of Fame. The only thing is, is that you're, you know, once you're in there for, like, 20 minutes, you're like, all right, that's enough. Like, it's just like any Hall of Fame. It's not quite uh, baseballs. But, uh, hey, man, we really enjoyed this, and I I appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, yeah, you down at uh, Media Day tomorrow, I'm assuming? Yeah, I will be there. We will uh, will see you down there. Uh, Thanks again for doing this. And, again, everybody follow him at Con Cron. Uh, Connor, thanks again for doing this, man. This was great. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's funny because, you know, you talk to Donovan Bennett. I I spend all day talking to Donovan Bennett and you think about all the things the Raptors can do really well and how the Raptors have played so incredibly well and what they've got matchup wise and, you know, how they can defend multiple positions and, yeah, the veterans that they've got, the shooting that they've been able to employ, the coaching that Nick Nurse does. And then, yeah, you do get reminded a little bit talking to a guy who covers the Warriors about exactly what they have and how great Steph Curry is. You start looking at the numbers and Clay Thompson, how he's performed in the postseason and that there is not really going to be any reprieve for Pascal Siakam. It's like, yeah, you made it through Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo, and your reward is Draymond Green. Like, poor guy. He's the second option for the first time in his NBA career, and this is the gauntlet that he has to go through in order to get buckets at the rim. It's just, it's basically cruel. I am going to be down at Media Day on Wednesday. Some of you are going to be listening to this on the Wednesday. You don't really care. Uh, Donovan Bennett will be there as well. we got tons of stuff. Check out Good Show. uh, Check out Free Association. Check out uh, everything that Donovan Bennett is going to be doing through our digital studio. He'll be doing stuff with Danielle Micho. As always, uh, we appreciate it so, 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 so much when you leave reviews, you drop a five-star, you hit the subscribe button, you tell a friend, you share it on Twitter, you share it on different social media platforms. It means the world to us. And uh, yeah, Raptors are... Going to be in a freaking NBA Finals. Like, just think about that for a second. Well, don't worry about Steph Curry and, you know, the, the crossovers and the scoop shots for a second. Don't worry about Klay Thompson running off screens and knocking down corner shots. Just, like, soak in that moment just a little while longer while there's still all of this hope and all of this optimism. And, like, who knows? Who freaking knows? All I know, Raptors right now, favorite in game one. Take that one. Man, we got ourselves a series. Uh, enjoy it, associates. Uh, we'll talk soon after game one. This is J.D. Bunkus signing off on Free Association on sportsnet.ca.